tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 287 with Ender King discussing preventing and rehabilitating ACL injuries. But just before we do dive into this episode with Ender, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So Rock Daisy have got their AMS Lite athlete management system, which is the first free AMS on the market. So if you were like me, or I like me, and had zero budget but want to collect some some data, some subjective data with their athletes and display it in a visual nice manner for coaches, definitely check out AMS Lite by Rock Daisy because that will have everything you need. Check them out at rockdaisy.com. So one thing that you mentioned on the correspondence that we had beforehand with regards to discussion points was does ACL injury equal brain injury? And I'd like to explore that. So what what made you what why do you think that's so important a discussion point to, to chat through? And do you think that ACL injury equals brain injury? Yeah, it's it's I suppose it's it's a complex area and one that's very difficult to assess from an academic point of view and therefore it's very difficult to explore. Um, one of our, our, our PhD students, um, uh, Tilana, is looking at this area post-ACL rehab and the, the use of, of visual strategies to compensate for, for, you know, for visual dependency to compensate for, for motor de- deficiencies post-ACL injury. Um, but like we know that afferent implant is immediately hit post-ACL. You have a rupture of the ACL and the loss of, of proprioceptive feedback from that ligament. You have a huge amount of pain and swelling that occurs within the joint and changes the, the, the feedback coming from the knee joint. You generally have compensation pain um, and compensation movement strategies that are going to influence those neural pathways, um, both spinal and supraspinal, uh, immediately. So you're going to have... A, a transition of um, reduced motor drive, increase uh, activity in, in the motor cortex and changes from your what has been very autonomous movement strategies to ones that are a, B, I suppose, a, more visually dependent um, as a compensation for that loss of proprioception from the knee uh, and also B, ones that are, are much more planned movements. So like when you're learning a new skill and it's very rigid, uh, because it's it's very uh, you know there's a huge amount of cognitive input to what we're doing, that 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 autonomic automatic movement strategies begins to get greatly influenced. And so, when you say brain injury, that that you know influences that uh, sorry insinuates that there's some kind of damage to the brain which there isn't. Mm. But are there changes at a local level, at a spinal level, and a supraspinal? There, there definitely are, and. Um, one of our co-supervisors, Dusty Grooms, has done a, a huge amount of, of work in this area. But again, it's very, you know, it's difficult to draw lines between biomechanics and ACL injury, uh, given the numbers that are needed. But it's an easier method, measure of metrics rather than looking at brain uh, function post-ACL and how that... So it's an area of ongoing uh, adaptation and, 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 and focus going forward. But it's often an area that's neglected in, in rehab from you know how we how we set up our our rehabilitation sessions to uh, influence that visual dependency how we can 
progress our rehab through to very very heavy lifting to influence that increased motor drive back down to the tissues not only motor drive from the brain but also our ability to recruit all the muscle fibers that our center activation ratio how we can recruit all the muscle mass that we have and and how we can structure our especially those transitions from the from the gym-based exercises through to the field-based exercises how we can uh, structure and constrain our drills to get as much motor learning and as much carryover as possible within those sessions versus I do my lovely jumping and landing and running drills in the gym and then straight out into the chaos and you know what we the strategies we can use to hide and to bluff and to compensate within the gym during planned environments are no longer available to us when we have to contend with most you know multiple data input trying to observe where the ball is coming from who's going to attack me where i'm going to go all those protective strategies or, or motor strategies are going to be you know compensated or, or challenged beyond what my level of compensation is and so it's a huge opportunity to create a more robust athlete over and above the simple metrics of strength and power and and and, and plyometric ability but then again if i you know it's one thing the brain having the signal coming down if i don't have those base physical qualities you know it, it, it's trying to again am i expanding my, my profile of that athlete to make sure that all of these metrics are trending and all these assessments are trending in the right direction on a weekly or a fortnightly or a monthly basis mm -hmm. so the, the the thread of assessments and being objective is 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 evident throughout what we've what you've discussed so that brings me on to the one of the last points that we'll have a chat around, and that is the assessments themselves. What what are you assessing, and at what points throughout the return to play, return to performance process, are they actually been plugged in? Yeah, um, I suppose you're you're looking to again to be repetitive. You're looking to say, what do I want my last assessment to look like, and what do I want it to look like from a conditioning point of view? from a technical competence point of view of whatever your given sport is, from a running and change direction point of view, from a power and plyometric point of view, and from a, a global strength and a local strength point of view and motor control. So that's what I want my last assessment to, to look like. Um, and so my first assessment is going to be, what can I tolerate at this given point in time, knowing that as I reach these landmarks and as I continue to progress through my rehab curriculum, I'm bringing in new elements all the time. So simple thing is what's my gait pattern and what's my knee range of motion and um, that progresses on to what are my compound movements look like am i looking squat or dl etc etc at around you know probably from the 12 meet mark on just purely from a tissue healing point of view can i begin to get metrics specific to where we know there'll be deficits so for we know that a, a patellar tendon graft and a quadricep graft is going to have more quads weakness we know that a hamstring graft is going to have more hamstring weakness in particular an inner range knee flexion so can i begin to measure that as early as possible not to see are they good or not because they're not going to be good enough at that point but to begin to draw their attention towards it and to show them that again uh, energy goes where, where you know where, where your focus is and so can you see that this is where we are now this is what's realistic to achieve in the next four week block this is what's needed realistic and then once we achieve a decent level of competency i'm going to continue to reassess it but my my pie chart of how i'm going to divvy up your rehab week or your performance week is going to evolve all the time as those landmarks are reached and those metrics so you know one of the big things is 
what's the number one, regardless of what week you are, what's the number one thing stopping you going back playing rugby or soccer today? Uh, my quadricep strength. Right, the first thing that's going to go into our program is going to be, is it going to take priority over it? What's the number two thing? My hip strength. Okay, no, what's my number three? Right, my landing competency. And you can you can have lots of stuff in your program week to week, month to month, but does your athlete know what the three most important things are? And do they know the test that's going to show whether they've had, and everything else is lovely, but everything else is cream. What are the three that we're going to judge you, the athlete, and me, the one responsible for your rehab on? And so as you go through your strength, then can I have a look at my plyos? As I go to my plyos, can I have a look at my running? As I go to look at my running, what's my rate of force development like, especially from an eccentric point of view? We're, we're very good at measuring what goes up, but most of the struggle is in slowing down. Um, and we've some research uh, recently come out of the clinic looking at how you know concentric strength improves between six and nine months concentric impulse asymmetries improve between six and nine months uh, and yet the eccentric deficits remain persistent and is that that i'm not rehabbing or going back to the specificity of training is it because i'm not putting as much attention to detail on targeting the the, the ability to absorb high levels of force as i am the ability to produce high levels of force and so you commonly see <clears throat> in, in in all rehab and acl rehab much of our our landing mechanics is focused on the motor control now, can i land without my knee collapsing in or can i land in a certain form but that's fine but that, that's quite low intensity that needs to be done don't get me wrong but that's low level in parallel where is my stream where i'm absorbing very high levels of force but in a less complex movement so I'm doing my landing, my eyes closed, hopping hurdles with a twist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then in parallel, where am I absorbing, you know, really, really heavy loads, whether that's with a trap bar or, or whatever else, where am I focusing and separating out? Because very often the ability to jump will continue to improve, but the ability to land or the ability to absorb high levels of force remains stagnant. And so if all you do is jumping training and hoping that that will work on my jumping and my landing, Maybe I need to split them out a little bit and say, right, here's my assessment for your ability to produce high levels of force. Here's my assessment for your ability to absorb high levels of force. And I'm going to treat them as independent qualities until such time as you're good, whatever the hell good is. And then mm -hmm. the one assessment should be able to look after both going forward. Um, so I've, I've kind of meandered around your point about when these assessments come in, but the assessments are driven by what my end assessment is going to be. And then as my physical competency improves, I'm always beginning training before I introduced assessment. So I've started my ankling, my pogo, long before I'm ever looking at any assessment of plyometric ability. I started my running mechanics long before I ever take a look at you officially running for the first time. Um, so you need to know what tests you have coming along the track and you need to start beginning to bleed in those elements into your program in advance. Um, A, not to say are you good enough or not, but B, to have that accountability. Uh, for you that's that's writing and coaching the program but also for the athlete that can you tell me today what the three most important things are for the next four weeks because they'll say can i do extra running can i do extra conditioning can i do it? i say of course you can but what's the three most important things and if you're coming into the gym tired and your knees sore because you did extra running yesterday what use is that <laughs> you know it's it, it's not no one ever says you know i really struggled to return to play because or i got i had a second injury because i wasn't fit enough uh, there's loads of time to get conditioned we can be really sensible around that um, but 
if I want to get back running and then I, my knee starts getting sore and I'm yo-yoing up and down and up and down, is that because I didn't set their expectation early enough about the steps along the journey? And then secondly is, did I not hold myself and that athlete, he or she, accountable to hitting those markets? We're going, or look, it's week 12, it's time. Or it's week 14, it's time. Or the surgeons, you know, when can I go back running when your knee feels good or my knee feels good? Well, away, away we go. Um, and, and trying to say that we all have the same goal in mind here. The goal is to get you back playing as quickly as possible with no pain in your knee and not do it again. So that, that's what we're all looking for. And we're all looking to do that as quickly as possible. But having your ducks in a row is the best way of doing it as quickly as possible, as opposed to just blindly going running. And if, if whether it's the external pressures, from, but going back to the challenges in league, whether it's the external pressures or whatever else, there is, in working in league team environments, there is a preoccupancy in, in some cases or a lot of cases in get, how quickly I can get them back running and how much running they can do. When for me, the number one thing is how efficiently are they running? Because if, if I look at the mechanics, I know when we go to add the volume to that and when we go to add the conditioning, you are just going to sail off into the sunset without an issue whatsoever. Whereas my knee feels fine until it doesn't feel fine. And then you're backpedaling. And then when your knee's sore, you're losing some strength and you're losing some of that plyometric ability. And I'm sliding down the ladder and there's nothing that infuriates a player and a manager more than having to step backwards. They don't mind having to pause at an area for a while. And just say, look, at our knee's saying just holding this pattern now for a little bit. But Jesus, they hate going backwards. And that's where you start to lose input and then you start to lose uh, buy-in. So if they've plowed on ahead, even though they've known and you've articulated from day one post-surgery that these are there, then you're, you're starting off on a win. But if you're trying to move the goalposts all the time because you haven't been very, very clear about what the tests you're going to use are and when you're going to use them and how they fit together and have outlined that long before the process starts, then it's very hard for the coach to come back and say, well, oh, oh, you know, why aren't they doing this or why aren't they that? Or very hard for the player to come back. Not like I understand where the player is coming from completely, but you're trying to protect them from themselves because they have all this enthusiasm. You just have to channel it and 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 make them accountable for making week-to-week progress. And if they're doing what they should be doing in the way they should be doing it and they're not making progress, well, that's on me then. I'm very happy to, to assume responsibility for that. But these are the numbers. Are the numbers trending in the right direction? If they are, your knee will tell us it's happy and, and, and away we go from there. Mm-hmm. So one last question to you, and that was around the the eccentric qualities that you mentioned are so important. This actually came up with a, a chat with Stu McMillan around the the correlations between um, the success that he sees with his guys and how important uh, eccentric rate of force development actually is with them guys, not ability to squat, you know, squat numbers, it doesn't really matter. Um, how are you training that quality throughout this, this rehab process and a bit of a and examples would be absolutely superb. Yeah, um, I suppose going back to Warren Buffett, you know, the quicker you, the, the less you lose, the the, the quicker you, you get back up to where you want to go. So, focusing on rate of force development, but at low loads as early in rehab as possible is very important for you know for reestablishing that that high neural drive to those tissues um, and to those motor units, and so beginning with you know double leg drop and catches double leg to single leg drop and catches um i'm not a huge fan of of, of landing off boxes etc because they tend to cheat a lot at it and, and 
often they can have poor landing technique when they're doing it. So um, beginning, you know, taking us through that stream as early as possible. So if I can front squat with a decent degree of intensity, I'm, I'm able to start loading my quads with a decent degree of intensity. I'm, I'm certainly ready to start very, very light but fast rate of force development work, uh, both concentrically but in particular recently because the concentric comes. Uh, it's the eccentric is what lags behind, the eccentric and the plyometric. Um, and then progressing that on to uh, trap bar catches, trap bar catches double, trap leg, trap bar catches single leg. And trying to, again, as I said, much of the focus on, on the eccentric stuff tends to be around landing technique uh, and the motor control of that, which is very important, but it's very low intensity. So it, it's, it's technically very challenging and it's quite a complex movement. But in terms of the ground reaction forces, they're very, very low ground reaction forces. So having, you know, can your athlete go from a double to a single leg drop and catch with their body weight on the trap bar? And so you get a 90 kilo player to stand up and say, right, I need to catch this on one leg. They'll start to look at you very, very funny. Yet we expect that we want them to decelerate laterally and we want them to decelerate going forward, absorbing multiples of that force uh, without having any exposure to it. So going back to the lateral hip, you know, why am I not getting stronger? Well, because the intensity is not increasing. Why am I having these eccentric deficits? Because I'm either not targeting them or the intensity is not increasing. Um, but again, because there's always the danger, the risk of aggravating the knee, a bit like the plyometrics, there has to be a, that huge technical foundation established really early in rehab. So when we're starting our double leg drop jumps, our double leg catches and our double to single leg catches, it is for some training stimulus, but it's also very much for you know working on the technical competency of it because we're getting you ready not to absorb high loads now, but we're getting you ready that when we want to go and absorb high loads, we're not having to go back and learn these exercises or learn these patterns or learn these techniques that they've been ingrained for weeks in advance, a la what we're talking about from our ankle mechanics for our, our mm -hmm. porgos and our plyos. We're ingraining these qualities miles in advance so that when it does come to turn the heat on, we know that you've a really, really, really solid base. We know your strength and all has been improving in parallel. And we know that you're in a position to really optimize and adapt as quickly as possible for a given stimulus, as opposed to, I don't have the technical competency, I ramp up the weight, my knee gets sore, and down we tumble again. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pace Performance Bite Size. Like I said at the start, you can check out the full episode with Ender King. It's number 287 and it is preventing and rehabilitating ACL injuries. Also, big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. If you want to check out their Enterprise version or their AMS Lite version, head over to rockdaisy.com.